But sometimes you don't know your use case up front, right? You designed some, even if you designed it and you built it, and then I don't know, something unexpected happened, and now you're wildly more popular than you thought, or you're offering a new product line that wasn't particularly planned for. Then being able to come back and revisit those design decisions or move your application, evolve it forward rather than having to start again, I think is those skills we need more of. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Hoss Talks Foss. I'm Matt Yankovic, the head of open source strategy at Percona. And today I've got an extra special guest, uh, Lorna Mitchell from Ivan. Hi, Lorna. How are you? Hey, how's it going? I am very well. We were just celebrating that Slack is currently down while we're recording. So, oh, it's, well, uh, so that's improved my day. Uh, well, I'm sure that uh, there are some riots and some buildings burning, cars being overturned because of that somewhere, um, people going, you know, crazy. Um, but we will we will just go with it and be happy that we have a little bit of quiet time to do this, uh, this chat. Uh, and here's the funny thing. You know, stuff like Slack going down, you, 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 you don't think that that is something that would happen in the modern times, right? Like you, you think of a company like Slack or AWS or any of these, these massive companies. And when they have issues, you're like, why are you having issues? Are you, you're supposed to know how to not have issues. How, how, <laughs> how are you having issues? I know, right? Um, but it, it happens and we have to, you know, we always have to plan for these things. The thing you think won't happen inevitably will. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Everybody has a bad day now and then. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, you know, how do you <laughs> mitigate that bad day and, and, and overcome it? Uh, yeah. But that being said, uh, Lorna is uh, the head of uh, developer relations at uh, mm -hmm. Ivan. So uh, she is here because we had connected at FOSDEM. Uh, this is actually the second year in a row she attended my talk and, um, you know, she thought it was okay enough to reach out and talk to me afterwards. So I'm like, cool. I've got a couple people who, you know, like to talk to me. And uh, so I, I invited her to come on and have a chat publicly because some of the questions and things we were going back and forth on are super interesting. Uh, but before we get to that, Lorna, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, Ivan and the DevRel team and, you know, some of the things you do? Oh, let me try and sum that up in a way that is not just a really long and boring story. Hi, I'm Lorna and Devrel at Ivan. Ivan is, we do open source databases and things that are also not databases like Kafka and Grafana and other fun thing, Flink, um, as a managed service on all of the clouds. So it's a great sort of intersection of open source and data technologies. And your talk was all about the um, open source databases and, you know, we, I've there were lots of interesting topics there. Ivan has actually only had DevRel for just over a year, um, but will be 10 people in a couple of weeks. Wow. So it's growing super fast. My team are amazing. The company's amazing. Startup growth is uh, new to me, but it's it, seeing those open source communities and the businesses around them and how those things work together has been incredibly interesting. It's just an exciting time. Yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, you know, so so ten folks. I, I mean, so is each person kind of like dedicated to a different technology? 
No, we haven't structured it like that at all. So we have some different skill sets in the team. We're still mostly advocates, but we also have okay. specialist educators, people who create mm. more written content and also can do our editing, but understand the technology as well. It's okay. such a rare combination. Oh, um, yes. In the last couple of years, we have had to do more digital content, but I am way more of a writer than a speaker. And so actually I think written content is king and I'm super excited to, to have those people on board. Um, and then we also have, I have an events manager starting soon. I have a community manager and between us, we have different backgrounds. So I'm from a software engineering background, which is a really mainstream route into DevRel, but we've got people who've come from different places. And especially because we have such data heavy um, products on the platform, then we have an es escape, would you mind being called escape, escaped data analyst? Um, oh, escaped data analyst. Well, I was not a data <laughs> analyst. I was a DBA um, okay. and then did all kinds of other stuff. But uh, no, I, I think you can say that. Um, you won't offend me because I wasn't that. Yeah. Escaped into, I think we all escaped from somewhere into developer yeah. relations, wondering what to do with our weird, very multi-skilled skill sets. Um, so yeah, people coming from different technology backgrounds and different, um, different, different parts of the industry, mostly technical. Um, but because we serve quite a big slice of the industry, like the DBAs, the ops people, also the data analysts, data science, as well as the developers, then we're more sort of thinking about it from an audience lines. All of us use multiple products and usually a few different tech stacks. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's interesting. You said written content, you know, is is king. And there is this weird divide depending on the stack and the audience, you know, like different programming languages, different databases, they have different preferences for learning. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, it's interesting that a lot of people who, let's say, use Node.js and Mongo and a few other technologies tend to gravitate more towards video and mm -hmm. tend to gravitate more towards live streams or, you know, more kind of walkthrough visual, you know, hands-on type activities. Whereas um, a lot of the, the Postgres or the MySQL or some of the more established technologies tend to be more, I just want it written. Don't bother me. I don't want to hear you talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a divide. Someone tried to tell me recently it was a generational divide. <laughs> I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, and I enjoy both formats myself. I mean, Yes, I'm more of a, a reading, writing. It's much more efficient. I can skip read much faster than I can find the right place in your video. So in terms of like developer efficiency, I think the written content has to be the starting point. The search engines can find it. You can skip to it in the page, copy the code sample and be gone again. But when you're particularly when you're learning concepts, I think the videos are really important. I'm a streamer myself. So I like to yeah, just let me show you around um, and trying to, one of the big things to talk about in developer relations is repurposing content. So just making sure that that's available in the flavor that's gonna work best for your brain. Um, and the video content side is just sort of getting going at, at Ivan, um, but it's something that uh, I've been shipping out new video equipment to some of my team. So it's, yeah, it's happening. Oh, you're, see, I saw you get really excited. You were like, oh, new video equipment, new video equipment. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the, the interesting thing is you can do a lot with video nowadays. Mm 
Mm -hmm. uh, especially when you're trying to show somebody uh, how to do, you, you know, the, the, the basic concepts. Maybe it's set up a replica or set up high availability or deploy some technology and walk them through it. Uh, and I found it very easy to use transcripts to, you know, use snippets over and over again. Uh, we just started a series where we're planning to walk through basically like 28 weeks of Postgres where it's like, First one is install. The second one mm -hmm. is configure. The third one is set up backups. The fourth, right? And so you go through, and if you have a live stream for each one of those, that's an hour worth of content for each one, which honestly, nobody's going to watch 28 hours. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe they will. I mean, you never know. Maybe somebody likes to, to sit down and watch 28 hours. But uh, I think that then gives you the idea that if somebody wants a specific topic, they can jump in. They can also then, uh, you know, check out, you know, the transcripts, if there's transcripts for it. And they, you know, if we do follow up blogs or other activities, that is always super awesome and helpful. Yeah. And that piece about the content reuse and making sure that it's maybe also written down and just creating videos that have the transcripts, the chapter headings, the extra pop up information, the metadata that means you can find the pieces. That's the magic of both worlds. Yeah. So for, for you, it's got to be hard with so many databases under. Ivan's kind of footprint. They've got a, a plethora of different technologies. Your background is Postgres, if I recall. Mm -hmm. So how did you come up to speed on all these different technologies and all the different ways that you know they, they operate? So I'm a technology omnivore. I am oh. queen of, never heard of it. I mean, leave it with me. Like, come here, I will coax you. Um, <laughs> and especially in developer relations where you are you only need to give your really expert audience enough to go on. They already understand a lot of the concepts. We're not gonna run my stuff in production, but when you're new to a concept, I need to show you enough that you can do what you need to do. So it's a very, I see it as a very enabling role. Um, my background is more in web development. So yeah, lots of Postgres, bit of MySQL. I know Redis pretty well. I've done different search and queuing type platforms. So it kind of have a lot of the concepts already. Um, I worked at uh, Compose. So I've seen some of these various databases. I just really like databases. Um, so, I do too, but yeah. that's unusual for developers. Like, <laughs> like, honestly, developers are generally like, oh, databases, oh, um, you know, so I, I, I get, you know, that and it, it's, it's funny and it's refreshing that, you know, other people like databases. I like to talk to database people, mm -hmm. being a database person myself. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it is an unusual thing. So, it, you know, how do you kind of approach that conversation with a developer who's like, I just want to dump data? I mean, that's well, a I'm Lots of people go far in their careers with that, don't they? They just put an ORM in and they never do more than that. They never really use any of the database features. They might as well be writing to a file. And, you know, tech is a very inclusive industry and that also has to be fine. Um, and if it gets you paid and gets the job done, then I respect it. But it's I have always enjoyed um, just helping people to unblock things. I was interested in this stuff as a web developer. I was a consultant for a while. You know, especially when you're optimizing those gnarly old um, web uh, projects, a lot of it is in the database. A lot of it is, oh, you've outgrown your indexes and you fired your DBA two years ago, or they went skiing and never came back, or whatever it is that happens to DBAs. They've always gone somewhere more interesting. Um, so being able to share those tips and just help people make more of the 
platform that they already have has been magical. And I felt like I learned more every time. Now I do it for a job, which is awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, that's great. And by, by the way, I think there's actually a mountain all DBAs go to, and there's just the the littered body of frozen DBAs at the top. So <laughs> well, I think you're gonna say an amazing out. party at the top, all the yeah, DBAs yeah, together. You know, one day, one day we'll thaw all the the frozen DBAs out, and they they will join us um, once again. Um, but we we had been talking a little bit about uh, you know the, the the open source space and you know how we can effectively measure and I mean, we touched on a lot of different topics and uh, you know so one of the the things that um, I'm curious about is DevRel is classically a difficult job to kind of quantify to management right like so so like from a metrics perspective and i've had this conversation with uh you know several folks where it's like you know, how do you measure like success because you're out there and you're like you know like hey use your stuff and then if they use your stuff it's like well how do we know lorna told us to use our stuff right like in that connection is often a challenge and i don't know if you figure that out but that's one of the things that i've spent a lot of time kind of pondering the last few months um, or actually last few years, um, which uh, I still don't have an exact answer for. I've got some ideas, but it's a little yeah. different depending on the company you go to, too. It is. So I definitely was able to run a small team on a lot of goodwill without too much attention at Ivan. When we first got started, no one really had expectations. So that was quite magical. Um, and we're doing the usual sort of metrics things. You know, did you publish a blog post? Did anybody want to read that, that you published or not? Um, and the kind of the, 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 what I would call the easy things, the organic traffic, publications. Um, one thing I would thoroughly recommend, which has worked really well for me, is having a, a big incoming sales lead that phones up and says, I saw Lorna give a talk and I thought she was great. So I'd like to buy your services because I reckon I can run another three months just off the back of that. So thank you to the client that I won't name, who is also awesome. Um, <laughs> so just phoned up sales and was like, I saw your person and uh, yeah, so I'm here now because she said it was the right thing. So, okay. Um, and I'm sort of telling this funny story, but there's a nugget there of, doing the things that your organization values and can measure and can see, and that might be organic traffic or it might be something else, stars on your GitHub repository, um, signups, I don't know. It's, it's different for every organization, but understanding what your organization values and doing enough of that, that you can also do the things you see that your community also needs is that's, that's, my, that's my recipe is that I try and do enough of the required things that there's room for the things that I know are important. Yeah, and I, it, it's interesting because depending on the company, it changes, right? Like the goals of, you know, not only, you know, uh, uh, DevRel, but community teams, uh, OSPOs, wh whatever it is, um, tend to alter based on current kind of dynamics. And, and it's it's interesting because, you know, some are just let's get adoption. Others are let's just get awareness. Mm -hmm. um, others are let's get code contributions, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so all of them tend to need to be satisfied. It's just the level of which one a company ends up looking for is potentially vastly different. 
right? Um, and I, I've I've had numerous guests on the podcast and other you know places where they're like, yeah, we just care about contributors. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, we just care about you know getting people to use our stuff. Okay, um, and th- that's where you really need to align um, kind of the goals of the team and the personalities of the team often to match that. Um, because it's, it's, it's hard for a lot of folks, uh, you know, doing either a, a DevRel type role or a community if, if they, they have like web, web developer skills. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily that they can contribute C code to Postgres, for instance. Um, it's not like their area. No. Maybe you have both. I don't know. Do you, you know, not, uh, not, not really. Um, okay. I'm probably, I think I'm definitely above average technical for developer relations roles, even people who've been coders, because I was an engineer for such a long time and I was, I'm always quite eclectic. So I'll happily try and run your C code or like I, I operate the local dev platform off the Ivan platform. Like, okay. Uh, don't understand all of it. I don't commit very often, <laughs> but I have to commit I rights. Understand. So, I understand. you know, yeah. um, having some idea of how that, how that all goes together um, is important. And I think those different perspectives sometimes depend on where in the organization your team is. So over at Ivan, we have DevRel uh, reporting up and marketing, whereas you have it alongside the open source side. So I think maybe, do you think that's quite different? Yeah, I think from a marketing perspective, typically marketing is very focused on generating uh, leads and trying to move people through the pipeline, right? And so, in the, you know, so that starts with you know top of the funnel. DevRel tends to be very top of the funnel, where it's driving awareness, trying to get people who will try the product, take that trial, turn it into. Um, something that is an actionable thing that sales can either follow up on or uh, an automatic sale if it happens to be uh, an as-a-service offering and they can just fill in a credit card and then kind of move along that pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're focused more on the product side or the open source side, you tend to focus more on the overall adoption and let someone else worry about you know, funnel. Um, and, and this kind of makes sense because... If you look at most open source projects, the conversion rate from a user to an, a paid user um, is pretty slim, right? So you could have a million like like users and might only have a thousand customers, mm-hmm. and you know that 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 funnel there is a very important thing that I think is often overlooked. That you know just because a you throw open source in the title of your project. And you try and, you know, like follow open source principles doesn't necessarily mean everything is going to convert that way. Um, People have to see value and they have to see the benefits of your particular product and offering and the value of a subscription. We did a survey uh, last year where, you know, we asked, you know, are you willing to pay for any open source? And two thirds said, no, we're never going to pay for open source. Never. Um, Doesn't matter what what you have. Um, So you already know that people there's a lot of people who just don't want to pay. Yeah. And I think it's as businesses that operate in the open source world, and we have quite sort of similar setups where it's, it's an open source tool and then it's the open source tool and so much more on our different platforms. Then, you know, we also have the responsibility to the upstream projects and to be part of their ecosystems in a way that's useful. You know, I get very excited when the new, new releases come down the pipeline and now we've got new features that were in the upstream project and 
Ivan has the OSPO, so we're sometimes we're contributing some of those features or maybe some of our documentation or our blog ecosystem helps adoption of the wider project. I really feel part of something bigger. Yeah. And I think that that's where, um, you know, you could, we, you know, we as a community um, often overlook some of the best contributions and the best ways to help, you know, these open source projects. Again, whether you're in marketing or product or, you know, you're kind of on your own, um, you know, we often think code or paid users mm -hmm. is the two most important contribution paths, right? Either either we're going to get code contributions upstream or we're going to, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get them to do what we want and, you know, make sure our product, you know, needs are there, or we're going to get new users paying for, for our, our product. But a lot of the best value that open source projects can get is really on feedback, documentation, um, and just content. You mentioned content earlier, mm -hmm. but I go back to that. The education of people is so important. Being able to show them how to do something, um, it, it's critical. Um, and I think that that's where uh, to, to be the next step in the evolution of whether it's you know the open source DevRel or OSPO role or just open source in general is really recognizing those who aren't just contributing code, but are furthering projects through becoming the advocates for us. So enabling them to be successful and then go tell people how awesome and how to do things with our products. Yeah, and, and when you work on an open source platform, it's like, I don't need to explain to people that Postgres is great. Like they got that part. <laughs> and just showing them maybe something new or a cool integration or you know something else that they maybe they'll they'll use on our platform or someone else's or their own and it's you know it's just part of the big story. Yeah. No, totally. And uh I think for like for 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 me my my goals for the the team here are contributors. And it's not contributors that are code contributors. Code contributors, yes, that's a portion, mm -hmm. right? And so we track things like have people created blogs about Percona's products? Have they spoken at conferences about ours? Have they given reviews on review websites? Um, you know, have they, you know, forked code, uh, merged it elsewhere, uh, taken it? Um, so we try and look holistically across the board. And, you know, our goal is to grow the ecosystem as a whole. That doesn't necessarily mean that these people will ever buy anything from us. Um, in fact, you know, many of them probably won't. Um, I but we just want to, make sure that people feel like they're part of in a very inclusive community. Yeah. And the healthy ecosystem is really good for business. So it works for everybody. Yeah, of course. Right. I mean, and I think that the bigger the open source ecosystem is for all of us, the more opportunities we'll all have. And I think that that's an important uh, thing for, for everyone in the community, all the different companies mm -hmm. um, who uh, contribute and in, in work in that space. Yeah. Now, um, so I'm interested. So, you know, having listened to the, the you know, my, my talk the last couple of years, um, was there any area that you're like, wow, that's crazy uh, that, that you want to talk about while we're here and you can ask publicly whatever crazy thing that I said, you could call me to the carpet on, you can say like, wait, that was weird. Or you can say like, let's talk about that. So I think there's 
One thing that we touched on briefly when we were chatting after FOSDEM, um, and you've touched on it today as well, and that's about like, how do we let people know that databases actually are very cool and will oh. really change their applications? How should we tackle this problem? I want to know. Well, so that's an interesting thing. So keep in mind that we have this weird space where we are trying to make databases a commodity, right? So mm -hmm. and let's be honest, what Ivan does, what Percona does, what AWS does, what everybody does is we're trying to make it easier. Yeah. Right. We want to lower the barrier of entry. But what we often don't do a good job of is making sure people know that the lower barrier of entry doesn't mean no entry. Right. Right. And so where I see um, a lot of, you know, bigger cloud providers like to use the term, um, you know, fully managed. Um, which is a term that when I hear causes some weird assumptions in my head, right? You know, like you, you say fully managed and that's great. Um, except there's all these other things that they don't manage. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, oh, well, so I just threw my data in there. Like you said, a flat file, this is a flat file thing, right? So I just wrote all everything in there and it should just work. Yeah. Eh, no. Right. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's still a certain amount of activity that you're responsible for. And it's that shared responsibility that's, that's critically important. Um, and I think that part of that is an education. Yes. Right. So um, the focus often when we talk uh, about anything as a service is really on the operational aspects, which are really honestly the boring parts, right? That are you know, hey, did the database back up? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. Yes. As a developer, you probably don't care. I mean, you care that it backed up, but you don't want the details, right? Like, so that's not like something that's really all that interesting to you. You really right? like, Oh, yeah. My, my, my replication is up and running. You know, yeah, I, know I want to develop code. I want to develop cool things. So a lot of this is, in my opinion, um, how do you show the cool things you can do in the databases, some of the features, educate people on how to get more out of their environment. Because there is not a developer or an SRE out there who isn't gold or has some sort of performance or optimization goal, right? So we all have, you know, we expect you know, this code or this thing, uh, you know, to be able to respond in less, you know, this web page in less than a second, right. right? So everybody has those targets and the database is one component, but it is a super critical component. And so showing kind of those, those, those connections on what sort of activities or decisions can really impact you are uh, super critical. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, that, that's one way, you know, and I moved it over there. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think the more we can visualize and the more that we can show people um, what that looks like and connect with them in, in different ways, the better off we are. Um, I started actually putting, I, I have a an arcade controller. I don't know if you've seen it on any of my videos, mm -hmm. um, but the arcade controller lets you turn up a knob and it adds users to the database. And, you know, like the application. And then like you'll watch the database graphs in Grafana or, or PMM and you'll watch them go like, whoa. And you'll say like, well, now what if we change the workload? So we had a reporter, somebody running reports at the same time. And then you'll watch it do something else. And then what if we change the data types and you click a button? 
and it's something that you'll see a connection in someone's head, right? Where it's right. like, I don't care about the database. It's a black box. And then you put it into terms that it's like, well, you are going to write reports, right? You're going to have some analytics. Oh, of course. Okay. Well, let's see what happens when you turn it to this. And then you watch the number of users the application can support go in half. And you're like, whoa, why did that happen? Yeah. And I think that's one danger with, you know, really awesome managed services. We we don't necessarily have the dedicated DBA talents in every team that we would have had when they had to manage the server as well as the inside of the database. So we start to see that we don't, not every project has that same level of expertise that at one time, every database would have had because you had to be able to operate the thing at scale. You had those people in your organization. And now, you know, quick startup, couple of coders, you, you know, you get, you get your favorite managed service, you scale it up. And then at some point, it just stops performing well. And you don't well, know why. But, well, but that's where most people then, let's go to the next instance size right. until you run out of instance <clears throat> sizes, mm -hmm. which is a scalable solution to a point. Um, it scales with how much ever money you raised as, as a, as a company. Mm -hmm. Um, so the more money you raise, the more you can scale that way until you run into the largest size instance. Uh, but this is where there's been a lot of work and, and I, I've, I've given a talk on database design and development, uh, a few times. And, you know, the thing is you can get almost any database to perform for most any workload. It just requires you to design it properly and it will vary on the level of effort to get it to work. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to use, um, you know, Postgres as a column store with all kinds of analytics components, you can absolutely do that. Mm -hmm. You just have to design it to do that. Right. Um, yeah. If you want to use, you know, MySQL as a caching, you know, solution, you can do it. Yeah. You might not want to do it, <laughs> but you can do it. And you can make it work mostly if you do it right. Um, and this is where it's it's like you have purpose-built databases now, which are awesome, right? You know, and and you would mm -hmm. you have logical choices. It's just how easy do you want to make it? You know, so you know, yeah, if I'm gonna cache, I'm gonna use, you know, Redis or Memcache in the past, right? You know, so okay, that's the logical choice. Um, but I think right now people are um, so afraid sometimes of, of saying like, oh, I, I have to design something to make it work right here. I'm just going to choose another technology and hope that covers my use case. Yeah. And, but sometimes you don't know your use case up front, right? You designed some, even if you designed it and you built it and then I don't know, something unexpected happened and now you're wildly more popular than you thought, or you're offering a new product line that wasn't particularly planned for then being able to come back and revisit those design decisions or move your application, evolve it forward rather than having to start again, I think is those skills we need more of. Absolutely. Um, I think that and I, I actually gave a talk this morning, a webinar on testing and QA, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, this kind of reminded me of, uh, because that those, there's, there's, there's two types of reasons you would go back and redesign your uh, infrastructure. Right. You know, and you mentioned kind of two, right. You became more wildly popular than you could have imagined. Um, and then number two, because, you know, there was some sort of business launch change, you, you know, like you, you, you changed or added something. Mm 
Mm. Now, the first one, I think, is something that we should be able to mitigate or overcome through proper design and testing. Um, You should never have to go back and redesign your entire application for a scalability thing. You should think scalability at the front. Right. And I think all too often, um, you know, we will over-design or we'll under-design because you can over-design as well. Yeah. I don't want to say that's not a problem, but, uh, you know, people will say, I have a need to, to, to have a hundred users a second. That's, that's what my throughput need is. I'm going to process hundred users a second. They'll test their system at hundred users a second. It'll be like, good. Um, and then it gets 150 and then they're like, ah, I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. But, uh, when you're setting that up, you should be testing, okay, I hit 100 users a second. What's my limit? Yes. Right? And so what's that that theoretical red line? And so if it's if it if you know it's 200 a second and you know you're at 100 and you start to see it creep up, then you know you need to upgrade quicker, but you should also be able to say, okay, when it reaches double this or triple this, what does that look like? What what's my plan? And the plan could be Go to the next instance size, yeah, and you should test that, and then you should go to the next instance size and test that, and say like, okay, now how many users a second am I supporting? And then you go to the next one, how many users a second am I supporting? Right, uh, and, and I think that that's where we often, as a as as a, a, a developer, DBA, whatever, we we look at like we hit the number, we're good, mm. and and so I think that that's where doing that performance testing at scale and finding out the limitations of the system um, can go a long way to making sure you can overcome that first type of architectural change. Um, because the most painful thing you can do to fix a performance problem is re-architect it, right? That's the worst. Yes. Um, uh, so um, I can add more hardware. I can add more you know, resources. I can add more servers. I can cluster things. But if you have to re-architect, it often means rewriting code. So yeah. um, want to avoid that. But the second one, when the business changes, that's a whole nother thing. And um, that I think you have a bit more flexibility on because as new products get launched, you know, hopefully, again, if if you've got things set up correctly, the name of the game in a lot of this is observability. Yeah. Um, right. You know, you, you can you can see as uh, things start to get deployed in test and QA, like, ooh, this has drastically changed things. Um, anyways, I, that's my opinion. I talk a lot, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. It's good. Um, I'm, I'm having a lovely, entertaining time. <laughs> oh, oh, lovely. Great, great. Happy to hear it. Um, but uh, no, so that, that's where I kind of think that uh, making databases cool for people mm-hmm. is is a lot of, Kind of articulating the problem, showing them things, letting them, you know, have some examples that they can really sink their teeth into, but uh, giving them the tools to to find and quickly overcome them. Um, so it's a bit of an education thing, but I also think it's also, as you mentioned, you're going to start doing more videos, uh, meeting them where they are. Yes. Right, and that you know that could be we have, you know Discord. You know, so, hey, we're hanging out in Discord. Come and ask us questions. It could be video. It could be live streams. It could be podcasts. It could be blogs. Who knows? Yeah. And it's probably all of those things with different things for different people. 
because you know the databases can support so many different applications and it's one of those things that i really like about working in this space i mean ivan yeah has also a, a big selection of things but even if you just look at any one product the different use cases the different industries the different things that people build it's so interesting so i really enjoy hearing those stories yeah i mean i think that that is one of the more powerful things that we can do as a community is articulate the successes and how people have used these technologies to do cool things inspire them yeah right so the more that we can say this cool thing used these features and here's how they you know did this cool thing the more people will want to use it the more they'll try it um you, you just never know yeah and some of that like you say is education just knowing what's out there and how to tell that their problem could be solved by this combination or this tool. If you don't know, then you know you can't begin to look up how to do it. Yeah. And I know a lot of companies are very shy about sharing that because they're like, oh, that's our secret stuff. Um, you know, I mean, like, like we can't we can't share what that, that we use Postgres. My God, other people might use it and be more <laughs> successful than we are. We can't do that. Right. Yeah. It, it is a problem, but um, one of the things that I like to do is to, you know, think of, so you, you see something very cool in like a retail sector, and then I'll create like a little tutorial where we're like running a cupcake shop. Obviously it wasn't a cupcake shop originally, but the problem is nice and small and you can think about it and then apply that pattern to your own, whatever retail thing you do, um, and hopefully share the ideas by making them smaller and and easier to to take in and then sending them out in suitably silly clothing <laughs> to <laughs> to, yes, to entertain yes. but also you know as humans we are really well evolved for sharing information by telling stories in a memorable way um and sometimes that is the best way to deliver the lesson yes transformers for instance of course i use transformers and legos in my <laughs> And Star Wars in my presentation. So, um, <laughs> Lorna, I wanted to thank you for, for coming, hanging out a little bit, having a quick chat with me. I do appreciate the time. Um, you know, anytime you want to come on and chat about something specific, feel free to reach out. Mm -hmm. um, if you haven't checked out Ivan, I would encourage you to head to their website. Um, they've got a lot of cool and interesting tools if you're looking for a, a database as a service provider um, uh, on a variety of different open source technologies. Um, it's a good place to go uh, check out. Fantastic. Well, this has been lovely. Thanks for having me. All right. No problem.